Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 64 for the week ending Monday, July 4th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu. Happy birthday to the United States of America. The U.S. is our biggest audience outside the African continent. So shout out to you, America, for listening in and indeed for contributing to the growth and development of many of Africa's brightest tech talents. Kudos to you for that. Now, joining me on the show today on this fair 4th of July is a very good friend of the show, the very American co-founder and CEO of Delve.io, Trevor Wolf. How's it going, Trevor? Howdy, Andile. Good to be back with you guys. And uh, I want to say happy birthday and happy Independence Day to the British, who are the first time celebrating Independence Day this year with the Americans. <laughs> That's a really good one. <laughs> and then you you had to like keep it really American by going howdy as well. Yeah. Do people still use howdy in the States? Only one-fourth of the country. Well, that didn't include you today, but fantastic. Thanks for joining us today. It's good to be here. <laughs> you cheeky. Yeah, the British are certainly, certainly independent at the moment. So let's see how that goes for them. The last time you featured on the show, though, was early last year. But since then, you founded a startup. You more recently just got back from Europe and the States and you successfully closed a round of funding uh, uh, for your business, for your new startup. And you've, you've gotten some rather posh recognition. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you and having you share some of your experiences with me. It's been a whirlwind of a year for us, and i um, looking forward to diving into a little bit more later on. All of you listening, it's definitely one not to miss. It's all coming up later, but first is this week's news. Uh, renewable energy project in Nigeria, Madagascar, and Sierra Leone getting a financial boost. eBay set to launch an e-commerce service in Nigeria in partnership with Mall of Africa. Scientists discovering a massive helium gas field in Tanzania and in Kenya, Safaricom promising to compensate subscribers who experience poor call quality. Definitely lots of news to get to, but do remember if you've missed any of our past episodes, you can head to africantechroundup.com and do give us a shout on social media because we love hearing from you. You can find us on Twitter at African Roundup, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. And the website is, of course, africantechroundup.com. Before we go any further, though, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. Now, FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help you get organized, save time invoicing, and most importantly, get paid faster. To find out what all the fuss is about, go on, try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. And now on to this week's news. We start with some encouraging news. Uh, three African renewable energy projects from Nigeria, Madagascar, and Sierra Leone have beaten nearly 100 other entrants to win the $7 million Access co-development facility run by power project operator Access Power. Now, they're a firm with a footprint in 15 countries across Africa and the Middle East. And the three companies that won this money are Ages PLC from Sierra Leone, Mentac Energy from Nigeria, and Stucky Limited from Madagascar. And they're all set to share that money as well as benefit from technical support designed to bring their renewable energy projects to life. Sounding good, don't you think, Trevor? I love seeing companies outside of South Africa and Kenya in Africa getting some recognition. So go Madagascar, go Sierra Leone. 
And I mean, these are certainly companies doing a lot. Uh, uh, Aegis PLC runs a 25-megawatt solar project in Sierra Leone, while Mentec Energy operates a 50-megawatt wind project in Nigeria. Stucky runs a 25-megawatt hydro and solar project in Madagascar. Collectively, these three projects are poised to deliver uh, electricity to an impressive 340,000 African households. Now, that, that deserves a hat tip. Good for the continent and good for these startups that they're, they're getting the recognition they deserve. Absolutely. Now, another startup that's set to get a leg up thanks to a much-needed financial injection is the Zimbabwean online business-to-business platform, Esaja for Africa. They've reportedly secured an undisclosed investment amount uh, from a Hong Kong-based VC. Now, some good news from my home country, which is currently braving some very, very tough economic times. Shout out to the young Clinton Mutambo and his team for landing this investment. Now, you might recall that Clinton made Forbes Africa's 30 under 30 list last year. Now, it would have been nice, helpful even, to get a little more detail around the deal, but hey. Maybe you can ask uh, Clinton for some more information. Uh, here's, here's the thing, though. Why do you think it's so hard to get uh, specifics around deals like this on the continent? I, you know, in, in other parts of the world, it's almost a bragging point, if not just a point of information that's quite important for startups to be able to confidently get the next round of funding. I'm guessing it has more to do with the institutional investor rather than the startup wanting to share their news. I think we all know that entrepreneurs would be very happy to disclose uh, the success and the backing that they get, but... Sometimes uh, general partners and limited partners and funds don't want that information revealed, especially if it's a new continent, uh, a new investment in a new continent for them. So maybe there's some nervous Hong Kong investors that were um, not wanting to disclose everything. Solid point there, Trevor. Now, there's a startup called Tress uh, that's also making waves. They've built an app that aims to help black women around the world discover and share new hairstyles. And uh, they've been selected to be part of the well-respected Y Combinator Fellowship Program. Now, Tress is founded by uh, Priscilla Hazel, Esther Olatunde, and Cassandra Safo. Uh, all three women are software entrepreneurs from Ghana and Nigeria. They met at uh, MEST, which is uh, the Meltwater Entrepreneurial School of Technology. Uh, we certainly wish them the best as they work through YC's eight-week program. Uh, I'm certainly hoping that they make the most of all the advice and the industry access that YC participants typically get access to. And most importantly, here's to hoping they land investors who believe in their rather important cause. Yes, yes, here is important, people. And sidebar, Trevor, have you heard reports that Jay-Z's streaming service Tidal is said to be in talks with Apple about being acquired? I have. It's uh, Patience is finally paying off for Jay-Z. He's had a rough couple of years trying to get this project launched, but finally getting some recognition from, from Apple. And this will be their, their second um, hip-hop star that they've made into a maybe a billionaire. And you know what? Uh, I mean, it didn't work out with Samsung. They had uh, talks with them um, some months ago. Didn't, they didn't come to anything. I can't help rooting for Tidal to prove all the haters wrong. And not because I'm, you know, I'm this massive Jay-Z fan. I, uh, he's a decent rapper, to be sure. But um, I do, like you say, hope he walks away with a deal that allows him. And granted, his, his, his partners are all superstars, super rich co-investors uh, and who probably don't need the money. But it'd be really nice to have a success story come out of you know, a guy who came out, out, out of the streets. I know they don't need the money, but hey, what a story. What a movie that would make. I hope that they also allow him to remain a part of the, the brand going forward like they did with Dr. Dre and the Beats acquisition. So um, I don't think Jay-Z is done uh, launching title. I think he's going to be a big part of it, and I hope Apple allows him to do that. Maybe if he brings uh, Beyonce to the, <laughs> to the negotiations and dangles her like a carrot and be like, well, if you want B, you got to take me. I don't know. Maybe this is a Tim Cook's strategic acquisition. 
Oh, what, he really wants Beyonce. <laughs> yeah, I think he knew what he was doing. He's a smart guy. Well, I mean, people are saying that um, Apple's interest in this particular acquisition is uh, is because of the one thing title seems to have gotten really, really right uh, as, you know, as you know, the press has been merciless in, in pointing out all the things they've failed at um, uh, as they set out to do it. But certainly their relationship with some of the world's biggest artists and their ability to, to, to woo them to this platform exclusively, uh, at least in the initial launch of their projects, is something that Apple is quite interested in getting. It's also a huge investment in a, a media platform. I know, I know Apple's built quite a few of their own, but... Um, as they try to hedge some of their hardware sales slowdown, um, I wonder if this is a way for them to kind of branch into a new new vertical a little bit more aggressively than they have in the past. Indeed, you do. Now on, on, on to the next. See what I did there? What? <laughs> what? That's the Jay Z lyric. Oh, damn! Sorry. <laughs> Somebody doesn't listen to Jay Z up here. Uh, I've been away from America for a while, so I've um, been listening to some local guys. <laughs> that's a nice comeback that's a really good comeback because it's like nah I'm all about Africa at the moment TKZ alright 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 listen listen. back to the continent now to East Africa next where Federico Pirzio Biroli I hope I'm saying that right uh, the founder of London VC fund Playfair Capital now he's planning to move to East Africa to become an angel investor now his fund plans to close down its co-working space at Warner Yard in central London if you're not familiar, the work Playfair does, they specialize in artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, huge buzzwords in the global VC scene. Playfair is invested in startups such as Stripe, Street Hub, Hassle, and Stratajet. He believes that uh, angel investing in Africa can make a big difference to economies on the continent, uh, perhaps to a much greater degree than in London, where he's been operating since 2010. What do you think of this, Trevor? I mean, I think it's borne out by the research. Uh, projects in Nigeria and South Africa are showing that economic development is easier to do through job creation of uh, through startups than it is government grants or doing traditional um, money transfers or skills training. So um, I think he's right that the, 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 the economies here will benefit from, from his investments. How much of that decision do you think is influenced by the recent Brexit debacle? Uh, it'd be a nice time to get your money out of Europe or, or at least hedge for the inevitability of a shaky, rough three years. Um, so I'm thinking he's smart, but I'm, I'm sure he's also seeing potential here. It's not just a pure financial decision. That's true. He's also said that London is now flooded with early stage funding for technology startups, uh, as well as the market for co-working space has become far too competitive. I suppose investors in his fund who might be worried that he's leaving London altogether shouldn't worry too much because um, Playfair Capital won't be closing its doors completely. Uh, he'll be handing control over to his remaining staff and preparing to become a limited rather than a general partner. So the the question that remains is, where is he headed to exactly in East Africa? There's been a lot of speculation about where exactly he might go. Uh, for many people, Kenya seems to be the logical destination, but uh, Rwanda's on the rise, I figure. You know, you can't discount uh, Tanzania, where a good friend of the show, Mbwana Ali of Savannah Fund, has chosen to live. Granted, he flies in and out of Kenya quite frequently. Uh, perhaps even Uganda. What do you think? Well, I think Nairobi is, like you said, is the obvious choice, but I wouldn't discount Rwanda or um, uh, Kigali's potential of recruiting him because they have, seem to have all the ingredients for a tech ecosystem that would be perfect for an investor to come in and, and play a pivotal role in. But uh, I also like Kampala. I think uh, Kampala is an undervalued um, asset 
has great access to all the other East African countries. So I think um, that could be on his list as well. That's something I didn't quite think about. He might, it might be worth his while to roll into a lesser city. And by lesser, I mean perhaps in size and in profile, not, not because the people are any worse or better. <laughs> okay, so don't write us any letters, y'all. Um, but yeah, maybe he might roll up into like a Kampala and just be the Don from day one. Big dog in a small pond. Absolutely. Now, listen, I caught up with uh, Toro Orero this week. He's the managing partner of the Silicon Valley-based VC Draper Dark Flow. He's in partnership, of course, with the very well-known venture capitalist, Tim Draper. Uh, and one of the things I asked him to let me in on are the pros and cons of running an Africa-focused VC enterprise from outside Africa, in this case, the U.S., Silicon Valley specifically. Take a listen to what he said. So, yeah, so I, I travel extensively. I actually spend half my time or 60 to 70% of my time here in, on the continent. So right now I'm in Accra. So the advantage of running an Africa-focused, Silicon Valley Africa-focused VC fund is, is this. The advantage is, um, okay, first of all, what I've noticed is just the currency differences so um, and the, the cost of living. So a typical example is this San Francisco, for example, which is right now the U.S.'s most expensive city. Investing 100K in a startup is literally just giving them probably a three-month runway or six-month runway or something, four-month runway. So meaning they're going to run out of money after the first quarter, right? Uh, investing 100K in a Nigerian or South African startup is a whole lot more, right? So have, having a fund domiciled in Silicon Valley and investing is not like in Africa is actually a cheaper deal than investing in Silicon Valley. Do you know what I mean? Yes. More bang for buck, certainly. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, those go a lot further here. Um, the other advantage is at least from, okay, now the other advantage I think is from the Silicon Valley and specifically Draper point of view is um, we're we have we're blessed to have big global presence and a big a big global brand, so we usually are just deals just keep coming to us every day regardless of if we're actively sourcing for or not. So because we'll hear oh Draper now has an office in in, in Africa, boom let's get to them etc etc etc. So um, so yeah so that's also like a big advantage because um, we have. Many people talk about, um, um, the, well, there's usually a value proposition of, oh, we have Silicon Valley connections, but um, there's a fun, did you know this fun fact, by the way? Mm. Tim Draper's granddad is actually the one that um, wrote the VC playbook in Silicon Valley that we use today. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Well, well, not, well now you do. <laughs> so, wow. So, yes, yeah, so they come from that like long, deep legacy and history. Uh, Which you obviously of... benefit uh, from directly. It's, it's the, the brand equity there is, is incredible, I'd imagine. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, totally. So, and that's what starts to recognize. Starts to recognize that, you know what? I have a product. Um, if I need an intro to the CEO of Twitter or, or Mark Zuckerberg or anyone in Silicon Valley, I can get that. Gotcha. Right, so, because, so that's. Uh, so because of that, we get lots of lots of pitches, lots of decks. We want a mutual partner to work with us. And that's fantastic. That's that's an advantage that we really, really appreciate and we hold dearly and we maximize to the benefit of the startups. Now, uh, disadvantage, like you said, um, will probably be maybe, uh, like, okay, from the startup point of view, thinking that we just have all the money in the world to throw away, you know? So, and... Uh, Come on, what's a million bucks to you guys? <laughs> a million bucks is capital that can be made back and want to make that 10x so gotcha uh, yeah but i'm sure you get that a lot it, 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 yeah so it's not a charity it's not, exactly yeah what's a million bucks so it's not a charity um we, we don't just throw away cash 
every single dollar is carefully invested and because it's an investment fund, it's a venture capital fund. Um, so so we, we get a lot of, oh, you know, they don't want to be, uh, just, just give us the money anyway and see how it goes. Um, I, I think, I think, I think that's probably maybe the only one. Um, Fair enough. And I, I'm, I'm oh, curious oh, about another, another, another one, by the way, mm. another one, sorry to, sorry to cut you. Another no one problem. is probably um, some people thinking that we are not African. Uh, but I, I tend to correct people that, you know what? I was actually born and raised and grew up here. <laughs> So um, I totally get the gist and um, of every single challenge you're facing now and even could possibly face from this very unique African experience and point of view. So, yeah. Right. There's certainly many good reasons to, to be based in a major global tech center like Silicon Valley, Tel Aviv or London or wherever. Um, but many good reasons to be right here on the continent as well. So uh, many thanks to you, Toro Orero of Draper Darkflow, for those insights. We had a splendid conversation. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Masugo Andile for the link to it. Um, that's at M-A-S-U-K-U-A-N-D-I-L-E. Uh, and Trevor, you aren't in the VC game just yet, but what in the way of a heads up about coming to play in Africa would you give to Mr. Perzio Biroli before he lands on the continent? I would definitely encourage him to carve out a section of his fund dedicated to very, very early stage, maybe even pre-revenue startups. I think there's a big gap in the VC market for for those type of opportunities. Obviously, higher risk for him, but um, if he spreads it across you know, 10, 20 startups, I think he might get some very undervalued deals, build better relationships with the founders. Um, and speaking about the founders, I would also encourage him to really consider what um, European and American VCs have done very well, which is build a platform or operations team dedicated to supporting their portfolio companies. A lot of the venture capital firms here in East, West, and South Africa um, kind of neglect that part where after post-investment they could be adding a lot of value in terms of uh, proper accountancy, marketing uh, support, publicity support, um, business development, legal a lot of startups here don't have um, the resources to hire all those staff members, so a platform team would go a lot further in Africa than it would in Europe and America, yet few VCs are actually doing that. Interesting to note how much time Toro, for example, spends on the African continent, how important that is. Uh, also, uh, his involvement with Speed Up Africa, where you know African startups get to pitch to Tim Draper directly and also benefit from this amazing network of, of individuals that he brings to support them way past uh, the stage where they actually just receive the money and run. Um, there's a lot of support, I guess, that uh, VCs need to be in a position to offer uh, startups once they've, you know, they've made investments. Yeah, it's a unique ability to the venture capital game is the ability to influence the outcome of your investments, which most you know, private capital investors in the stock markets don't get to really influence the, the companies, the big, large corporates that they invest in. Um, in the VC world, it's a pretty obvious, um, pretty obvious desire to want to support your startups uh, post investment through marketing, through legal, through business development. So, uh, the startups need it, the founders need it, and the VCs here have an opportunity to um, to support these these startups. Here's to hoping Mr. Prezio Biroli uh, is listening in and, and takes your advice. Uh, and here's to hoping I haven't butchered his name to the point where he doesn't even know we're talking to him. <laughs> Hope he also considers Johannesburg. I know he's looking at East Africa, but we'll welcome with open arms in Johannesburg. 
<laughs> you heard it here, sir. Bring it on. Bring it on to Joburg. Well, staying with East African news, though, scientists from Durham and Oxford in the UK have discovered a major helium gas deposit in the Tanzanian Rift Valley. Now, it turns out that this find is so significant that it could single-handedly ease the global shortage of helium. I had no idea helium was in such short supply. Now, the scientists who are working in partnership with the Norwegian helium exploration firm Helium One have reportedly been using high-tech methods to actively search for this precious gas instead of simply relying on accidental discoveries that occurred during the drilling for oil or mining of minerals. Now, I recently found out that helium isn't just handy for for helping people (laughs) who inhale it to sound like Bugs Bunny, but it's also crucial for the functioning of MRI scanners, space exploration vehicles, and the production of nuclear energy. I continuously get blown by how much potential we have in terms of raw material that the rest of the world relies on Africa for. And I suppose, that, you know, there's such potential for us to harness this ourselves, add value to it, and perhaps even take it to market ourselves. It's just getting that right, though, it seems to be such a difficult thing for the continent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, in one sense, it's a shame that it took a Norwegian firm to um, explore and have the funds to investigate these natural resources. But um, hopefully also encouraging for local firms to set up shops, set up some R&D into um, parts of Africa that we haven't uh, yet tapped into. And two uh, UK-based universities, when we've got dozens on the continent doing amazing research, but perhaps, you know, not enough. Yeah, sometimes there needs to be a commercial interest um, involved in, in investigating, and um, you know, I think that you know, over the next five to ten years, we'll start seeing a little, a lot more local firms uh, making these big discoveries. Here's to hoping, eh? So, uh, to Kenya next, where Safaricom is said to be instituting new policies aimed at improving the customer experience for its voice, data, and SMS services. I think I hear a corporate. Uh, cheer <laughs> as far as we are from the, from Kenya. Uh, I think a lot of people have been quite eagerly anticipating what Safaricom might do to start improving the level of service it delivers given their dominance in that space. But according to their CEO, Bob Collymore, the operator now handles 30 million calls and 70 million SMSs per hour. And so they're looking to improve the call quality, uh, as is right to do, given how much money they're making off <laughs> the general, uh, the Kenyan public. And now look, on average, the network says that they experience something like a 0.3% call drop rate. Uh, look, it's marginally low, granted, but... Um, you know, it does represent an average of something like 90,000 calls dropped every single hour. Now, to remedy the situation, Safaricom plans to compensate customers with up to 60 seconds of call time for every call dropped. So the plan is when your call gets dropped, Safaricom will send you an SMS with an apology and a reimbursement of up to 60 seconds. They have given people a heads up who might abuse the service that they'll only be uh, providing up to five refunds per day per subscriber. Uh, And this is one of the new measures they've put in place to to sort of guarantee services. And it's gone live this week. Tell us, Kenya, if you've experienced the service and you're grateful for it, uh, you've got the SMS, you got the 60 seconds, it worked well, it made you feel nice and warm inside, more than that, it makes you less likely to move to one of their competitors. We want to hear about that. Uh, give us a shout on Twitter and tell us all about it, at African Roundup. In the meantime, though, I have to hand it to Safaricom for at least trying to solve a problem, which in South Africa, for example, has been, has been something we've complained about. But um, I'm glad Safaricom seems to be leading the way in this area. You hope it sets a nice precedent for all mobile telecoms executives around the, the continent to adopt this policy, too.
Yes, I mean, let's start maybe with the biggest one, uh, the biggest one on the continent, certainly going through its fair share of, of trial and tribulation at the moment. It might be a good way for us to all like start feeling sorry for MTN. I don't know. I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> We've got a hard nut to crack here. Uh, but uh, to Nigeria next week, uh, Chinese mobile text and voice messaging service WeChat has shut down its Nigeria office. It's now exclusively running operations from South Africa. Now, WeChat in Africa is managed by Naspers, who have invested in uh, you know, WeChat's parent company, Tencent, this famously lucrative investment has done really well for Naspers. Um, however, another Naspers outfit that has reportedly cut its physical presence in Nigeria is PriceCheck. Uh, it, it's a service that allows users to compare product prices across thousands of categories. Now, this move comes after months of denials from key personnel, even staff members, you know, that people were being laid off and um, all indications pointing towards gradual termination were false and that kind of thing. Uh, well, look, uh, you know, WeChat's done quite well, uh, as, at least as far as they tell us. Um, they carried out a very aggressive brand awareness and user acquisition campaign, cash giveaways, celebrity endorsements, startup competitions. We, we've been told that the app has a significant user base, thought to be in the millions of users. So why they choose to leave Nigeria seems to be a bit of a mystery. Yeah, I mean, one wonders if it's a matter of the local economy there in Nigeria or the fierce competition for real-time chat apps. Or maybe they've just figured out a way to, to manage the platform from a remote location and really don't need to be in, in, in Nigeria. Yeah, I mean, consolidating overhead and, and staffing is obviously a good business decision when it, when it works, but one wonders if there's something else going on. Absolutely. Look, there definitely are signs that growth at Naspers is slowing. There's definitely increased competition across all its major platforms and service offerings uh, from players on the continent and beyond. Everyone and everything from Netflix to Jumia and, and all the brands they manage. Uh, and I do believe it's beginning to take its toll on the continent's most valuable tech firm. I guess when you're the biggest player on the field, you're bound to take a beating. Just ask MTN. Uh, and I'm sure Naspers is looking for ways to cut costs and become more efficient and not just rely on being the biggest. A focus might be on uh, improving revenues over time as well as improving profitability. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that Naspers shut down a business. They are known in the industry for being able to um, cut their losses, so to speak, before the the the, the blood is dried. Yeah, I suppose when you're a startup founder, you're hanging on there till the last, to the dying seconds. You're literally going down with the ship, as it were. But um, Naspers probably doesn't have a hint of emotion in that area. Now they've gone through this process once or twice before. Well, we'll certainly be keeping an eye out on their moves for sure. Now, finally, one of South Africa's largest startup surveys has revealed some startling data. And that is the fact that entrepreneurship doesn't seem to be leading to job creation. Well, at least not yet, anyway. Now, the survey was conducted by Seed Academy, a social enterprise that provides business support and mentorship. Now, according to Seed Academy, startups are taking really long periods of time to gain traction, uh, with some going as long as five years without making any sales. Only 4% of entrepreneurs uh, surveyed apparently employ more than 10 staff. And up to 38% of startup entrepreneurs don't employ staff at all. This is pretty interesting information. Yeah, but I wouldn't read this as a, a indication that entrepreneurship or startups is not a good vehicle for economic development. I think it's just more of a, a, a sign that startups here in 
and African content are fragile and are not getting the support to make it past that critical early stage that they are in, in other developing in other developing markets. Um, so I think this is more a indication that startups are need more support rather than they're not a good uh, vehicle for private sector development. I suppose the news might come as a shock to politicians, specifically in South Africa. Now, if you live in South Africa, you'll know that over the last decade or so, uh, entrepreneurship has featured really heavily in government rhetoric. Uh, it's often cited as the greatest hope for improving the country's growing unemployment problem. I sort of favor that position uh, in many respects. Uh, while job creation should be a key outcome of entrepreneurial activity, uh, I, I think may, perhaps one of the, the things we've all underestimated is, is the role of tech in influencing how products and services are made and delivered in the new world. But perhaps we just don't need as many people at, at companies to, to deliver the kind of value we've come to expect. Yeah, there's definitely a, um, a law of diminishing returns when it comes to staff counts at startups. I, I think the goal is to you know hire enough people to service the company. Uh, but at a certain point, the technology uh, that the startup is employing should be taking over some of the additional capacity. So there's not a direct linear correlation between startup job growth and the success that they're having. Perhaps in the interim, we'll, we'll take a hit, but I'm sure overall this should pay off. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about South Africa, the National Development Program says that 90% of jobs by 2030 will be developed by SMEs. So they could either focus on the 8.9 micro million micro enterprises that needed to hit that number, or they can focus on developing 45,000 startups between five and 200 employees. So I think it's a lot easier to reach economic transformation, econo economic development by focusing on startups uh, than a, like a traditional mom and pop store. Um, but we have a long way to go to figure out how to support those startups. I totally agree. Now, that's the week's headlines, folks. Thank you so much for factoring in on this week's stories, Trevor. You're fresh from Europe and the States. I am dying to catch up with you. You've been pitching dozens of people, rubbing shoulders with some impressive investor types, uh, talented startup founders, winning innovation awards and taking numbers. Uh, <laughs> I imagine you have some interesting insights around what it takes to found a startup on the continent while continuing to maintain a global outlook. Uh, but before you share what's top of mind for you in terms of all that, uh, let's take a listen to a clip from a conversation I had with Maya Morgan Farmadou. She's a Nigerian-Swedish-American based in Silicon Valley, and uh, she leads investment tours via her firm, Ingressive. Now, I've, uh, I asked her to contrast the vibe of Silicon Valley with various tech ecosystems on the continent, and this is what she had to say. I'll give you one example of Silicon Valley relative to Silicon Sahara or, or you know, of Lagos Tech. And we, we led a tour to Lagos in, in September of last year. And one of the, one of the traveling uh, investors who came along with us actually started crying at one of the pitch competitions. And um, after, you know, we went aside and I said, what, what's happening? What is, where is this coming from? And she said, I, I just, I didn't realize the hustle and the ingenuity. I didn't realize going to the continent, people would be not only as smart as everyone that we have here in Silicon Valley, but hustling five times as hard. And so um, if you're an, if you're a founder building a company on the continent, you, you have, incomparable barriers to entry, um, hurdles, inefficiencies, challenges, just, you know, to get, especially in Nigeria, to get from your office to the next meeting, even the transport time is just, just ridiculous, crazy barriers that, that people in Silicon Valley will never even fathom. Um, 
So I, I, I want to commend people who are able to successfully build companies, especially tech companies on the continent, um, with Wi-Fi costs, with energy costs, with transportation, with all of these craziness. Um, so that, yeah, that's, that's one thing in, in, in comparing the two markets. Um, as far as Silicon Valley, what it's like on the day-to-day, uh, the, the, the biggest differentiator is that everyone is warm to and willing to and immediately available to provide introductions to connect you where you need to go. Of course, everyone has an, an idea. You go, oh, I'm building the, the Twitter for cats, the you know AI drone, blah, 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 VR, high-tech, SaaS-based enterprise pod, you know, just so I mean that lingo, that dialogue, I'm used to it. I'm, I'm, I don't even realize I'm numb to it these days, but so that, that of course, that concentration of, of, of everyone, um, of everyone building and creating, but there are two other things here that aren't really, uh, aren't as, aren't as prevalent elsewhere. And one is, um, the innovation thinking. So everyone, when they're, everyone is constantly walking around sniffing for a problem that they have, that, that other people are coming to, because that's where, that's the crux of entrepreneurship. That's the crux of scalable business is I have this problem and my friend has this problem and his friend has this problem. And there's gotta be at least 10,000 people in the city alone. And maybe, you know, 5 million, 50 million, a billion people in the world who share this same problem. So it's just, it's people going around with the idea that they're, here's a local problem and I have the skills and the resources to create the solution. And there are people with lots of money sniffing around them trying to find who has the best one. So, um, I mean, of, of course it can get crazy. Of course it's like, did you seriously just fund that person who, who's, there's a lot of free flowing capital I'll leave it at that. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's a very inspirational and it's a very exciting place because everyone who comes here leaves with a sense of, I can do that. I can do it because other people are doing it. And, and also because anyone with a good idea and passion and the drive and the dedication can create a solution that impacts a lot of other people. Now, Maya has given us a sense of, you know, what the vibe is like at Silicon Valley. Obviously, if you listen to, to the whole conversation I had with her, she went on to give me a sense of reality around in as much as all these, you know, this innovative thinking is going on. It's as hard as anywhere else in the world to get funding for a good idea or get an idea off the ground and that kind of thing, which is great. You know, you, you, you have, you've had the benefit over the last few months to build a startup concept right here on the continent and then go shopping around all over the world for, for interest in it. And um, the response has been really good. What have you come away with? Well, I, I think that um, a lot of people are, are noticing what Maya did is that a lot of African entrepreneurs have a natural disposition to finding and wanting to solve problems. I think that's um, one thing that investors took meetings with me for. They, If I came to them and I've started building a company, I think a lot of them expected and assumed that I've identified a unique problem to the local continent already. Um, so that was it was kind of nice, is that the, the perceptions of African hustle, as Maya said, is, is actually um, contributing to uh, investors' appetite for the continent. So now speak specifically to uh, to Delve. I mean, when we last spoke, you featured on the African Tech Conversations uh, podcast, which I host also, uh, and and also on this podcast, uh, you you were then the the MD of of Spring Leap. You since transitioned to to your own business. Tell us a little bit about that business and how you've gone around shopping for for interest in it. How you landed investment and what you won awards for. So I think one of the, the the biggest things we started with was defining whether we were going to be a African startup that served the African continent or an African startup 
that was building its operations, its base, its headquarters here, but serving a global market. Um, we ultimately decided on the latter with, with some nuance. And so I, I think that helped us secure some meetings as well as, as we went to uh, investors and we said, here's our big global ambitions. Here's how we can you know, transform a global uh, industry. Uh, we happen to be based in South Africa, which has amazing talent um, and one of the lowest burn rates you'll ever see. So your money is going to be going to fuel growth, not to pay for a fancy office, um, uh, huge bloated salaries. Um, so I, I think that was part of our journey was um, revisiting what we did in, at Springleap um, and then defining how we want to position ourselves to the global investors and ultimately, it paid off. We our first capital in was from a UK-based investor. Um, he loved our team. He loved our product. He loved what we were building, but also knew that we could service a global market through um, through our headquarters here in, in South Africa. Um, once that money was in, though, it's also helped get local investors interested. I think getting some international recognition from. Um, for your startup as actually convinces or more reassuring to local investors, local clients, local media. Um, anyways, it's all, it's all gelling now. We got nominated for Innovation Awards from South Africa's largest bank, um, got into the Endeavor network globally, so they flew us out to Spain. Um, it was out of 20,000 applicants. We were one of 50 that made it past the program. And yeah, so it's now into the next chapter of our, our growth story. And so you, you're a research-based business. Uh, explain your value proposition and what makes it uniquely positioned, not just to service uh, African problems, but to service global problems. And was that something you thought about when starting out? Yeah, I mean, so we, we, knew, um, we knew what a, a pain we wanted to solve, which is um, you know, over a trillion U.S. dollars are spent on advertising activity year. By any conservative estimate, 50% of that is spent... Um, imprudently, so on bad advertising, and 50% of that trillion dollars doesn't work at driving sales, being locally relevant, making uh, making consumers become loyal fans. And so we wanted to find, figure out what was going on in the creative process. Um, why is it that agencies, big well-known agencies, aren't producing the best work repeatedly? Uh, it's like a once-off hit. And a lot of it um, came down to agency um, business models are, are changing and transforming. There's no longer tons of time for an agency to um, sit around and come up with huge ideas and 10 people sitting around a coffee table and giving each other open and collaborative feedback at every step of the creative process. And that's because margins are shrinking, clients' budgets are shrinking, and agencies are having to reduce headcount. Which means for us that there's a glutton of freelance creatives around the world and still a need for those people to add value to the creative process. So we went around the world gathering up all those creatives, um, put them onto a platform, learned about 50 pieces of information about what they are. And just like Uber's connecting you know, independent drivers with um, people in need, we're finding brands that literally, or agencies that literally just want feedback on their creative concept before they spend a million rand or spend a million dollars on media budget. And allowing these people to work on these teams, um, adding value to the creative process, testing ideas, um, coming up with bigger concepts, um, and introducing the, the campaign to other markets. So... Um, we're reducing time and the money it takes to test your creative concepts now, um, but it's a very simple model. Um, it's just a, a collective of, you know, over 100,000 creative professionals. 
Right. And I'm sure you heard a lot of no's, you know, when you pitched your idea or people who, you know, listened to you went, meh. You know, what's the most common reason you heard uh, from people who didn't think you were all that? <laughs> I think um, not a lot of them understood the market. So, you know, any investor needs some type of background in the industry to uh, be confident that you're trying to disrupt a very growing market or that there's an actual big enough market for you to, to dominate. So the ad testing market and the market research market, which is about a $45 billion uh, industry globally, a lot of investors didn't know that that existed, um, that a trillion dollars was spent on advertising every year. So we had to kind of um, do a lot more reassuring about the size of the market, the size of the potential, and that we are the right people to, to be disrupting that market before we got any yeses. You know, I've been speaking to quite a few, you know, players, uh, you know, senior players on the, you know, Africa's tech scene, and a lot of them feel that local startups often look too far for for love, you know, as it were. What what did you find lacking in in terms of uh, finding a local VC or a local, you know, angel investor or, or something like that uh, to invest here? What made you go as far as the UK to find someone to? invest in this idea? I think speed. Uh, I think a lot of your um, CEO or founder listeners will know that um, coming to a VC firm when you're pre-profitable, when you're, you know, you're making some money, but maybe you're not taking off like a hockey stick. And a lot of the VCs are just really scared about investing unless a business model is tried, proven, and tested and is on its way up. And so... Um, that culture of angel investing doesn't exist as predominantly in, in Africa as it does in Europe and in America. Um, and we felt that we had hit our product market fit. We had a great team. Um, we identified a great pain problem in how to distribute the, our products, uh, but we happened to be uh, pre-profitable. So we knew that um, a lot of the conversations here were going to be nice and friendly, but ultimately they would drag out into a, a no. So we, we looked at investors that were willing to take a bigger risk on us um, and knowing that we would eventually hit that profitability point in the next year or so. Um, but we knew that that culture wasn't going to be found here. That's interesting. Now, I asked uh, uh, Toro Orero what he and his partners at Draper Dark Flow look for in a startup they might invest in. I think it also gi- it will give us some insight into the difference in mindset you just described as far as VCs are concerned in terms of perhaps local VCs and angel investors on the African continent are spoiled for choice. They're at the stage where there's just so much potential. They literally can, uh, can weed out the the almost or maybes and and literally just back the winners at this stage, uh, whereas perhaps people like Toro and his and and his partners are more attuned to the risky, uh, you know, flying off the seat of your pants type scenario that you know Silicon Valley has become very famous for. Either way, I found what Toro had to say about what he and his partners look for in a startup very interesting. Take a listen. So yeah, so what, what I look for is passion. Um, Passion is emotional, right? And people get emotional about things they love. Um, so people that try to think about businesses from the strictly bottom line point of view mm-hmm. um, will run, will most likely run away from the business when it doesn't make the business sense anymore. Yeah. Uh, but people that do businesses they love will figure out how to make it work regardless of whatever circumstances happen. Right. 
and those are the kind of people that exude passion most of the time and that's usually the first thing by default that I look for so what's the passion level how excited are you about it about about what you're trying to do you get um, the second thing I tend to look for is a certain level of delusion delusion <laughs> so um, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um, is this person borderline nuts um, do I think he is really actually the, the the more the more stupid somebody the, the, the more the more stupid quote unquote I think somebody is the more interested I am in that person because he clearly doesn't get something about how the world works sure. <laughs> sure. but he also clearly sees something about how the world works that we don't see as normal people um, so yeah the, the third thing I, I, I tend to look for um, now, now all this is about the person by the way before the business um, the third thing I the, the third thing I tend to look for is um, um, is this person a long term guy or a short term guy? So is this person um, a marketer or a visionary? I'll give an example. So and I have nothing against the short term or the long term guy. It's just it just helps me position what the deal is going to be. So a short term guy is what they call serial entrepreneurs, right? Where I want to do a business. Um, sell it to LinkedIn in five years and move on to the next thing. Um, a long-term guy is the guy who's going to stick to that business and grow it to become really, really big and make it the biggest in the world before thinking about doing something else, right? He's not thinking about the next thing. He's thinking about this thing as his life's calling. So, yeah. Um, so, those are things I can look for. Now, to the business part of it. Um, uh, oh, sorry. One more thing. I, I I look for how much fun the person has doing what he's doing. Oh, uh, yeah. And how do you gauge okay. that? So actually, it, it depends. So how the person how the person talks about what he's doing. So ah. um, I'll give an example. Um, um, does the person think work is fun? For example, uh, is the person thinking um, TGIF? Thank God it's Friday. <laughs> Woo, I'm done with work. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, weekend to weekend uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, now I'm not, I'm not saying I'm looking for the workaholic right I think there's a place for rest and everything but um, the person has to yeah but the person has to be at home has to be at home it, it at basically yeah. I, I said to sum it up really you, uh, you're looking for drive you're looking for enthusiasm and you're looking for someone who's uh, and to, to determine at what you know on what gradient of the scale of um uh, of uh, sort of tenacity the person's at in terms of sticking with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and delusion too. Delusion is really, really important to me. Yeah, yeah. That's very, very important to me. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll write it back. I love how seriously oh, really, you really. say that. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guy has to be absolutely nuts. No, You're no. Right. So I'll, I'll give an example. So I'll write, I'll write, I'll write probably, and this is just me, and this is just at this moment, right? But um, the person that takes all the check boxes. Um, have a um, Stanford alum, have an MBA, has sold a startup to LinkedIn, has da 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 da, da has a tiny experience. It's actually a guy that I'll actually run away from because you are so proper and normal and you have done all the right things, right? I'm looking for the guy that has done all the wrong things and, and will continue doing all the wrong things as long as he, he or she can learn as fast as possible. So back onto the business, right? For the business piece of it, I look for um, how big the startup is thinking. Um, so, are you thinking countrywide or continental-wide or global-wide? I tend to be more excited about people thinking about how they can change the world. So, how the technology 
can affect the whole world. So, for example, we're using Skype right now. Skype was a startup um, that Tim backed from Estonia. But when you think about Skype, you think about Skype as a global company. Their product has changed the way we communicate. Um, so I, I, I tend to tilt towards ideas that are that big, that are that daring, that, that are that bold. So big markets, big world, big problems, borderline impossible problems. The, the second thing about, about uh, that I tend to look out for is what is the unique insight that this person knows about this business that I probably don't know or that other people don't know. Um, so that's also really sometimes very important. And um, so, so it's usually not about the data, it's more about how the entrepreneur interprets the data he has. Data is everywhere, but how they convert that data to knowledge. Right. And so I say that that's like a very, very big thing. I've seen over the course of like my short visa career so far, I've seen you, you start to see patterns in fintech, you start to see patterns in how people pitch, right? But what it's, what I start looking for is what lies outside those patterns because the patterns get boring. Um, yeah, and the final thing I look for in, in the business is um, is the team. So now, not the team in the cliche way, oh, they have to complain each other, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, that's, it's, that's like, oh, everybody team, team, team. But what, what I look for is just the, what I think, um, are they lethal executors? Did you, did you ever watch 24? Yes, I did. Are they Jack Bauer? <laughs> are they Jack Bauer? <laughs> Do they aim That's straight it. and get the target every time? All Will the time? they get this done? Re- no, not, not re- no. Jack, Jack didn't, didn't necessarily get it done all the time. He actually spent like some, some, some years in China in jail and stuff. Oh, so, yeah, 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 of course. So uh, yeah. with some However, detours involved, of course. Exactly, yeah, yeah. In fact, many, many detours involved, yeah. breaking many, many rules. But the thing is, Will they? Do I believe that they will get this they will done? Get regardless? it done. Yeah. Are there people that think of? Are there people that let excuses get in the way, or will, will they? Are there people that will will trek from Syria alone to South Africa just to get a meeting? Yeah, I, I totally get you. Now this is the whole chicken and egg dilemma between investors and startups. Investors go, "Oh, you're too early. Um, go and build a business before before you come to me for money." And the startup goes. But how can I build my business if I don't have your money in the first place? And the loop continues. Right. So um, over the last few weeks, I've been telling a couple of startups, um, don't think about yourself as a startup. Think about yourself as a small business. Right. So um, when you are, let's say, the, the roadside suya guy or the roadside um, guy that has a kiosk that sells some groceries, right? Uh, he's not thinking of scale at that moment. He's thinking of how do I make money to eat today? and tomorrow, and for my kids, and to feed for the month, right? So with that, he's able to prudently manage his resources, make money, and gradually scale. I think, I think that has to be the unique approach for, African, for most African startups. Um, we need to think about ourselves as small businesses and actually as businesses. Because startup has become, oh, look, we're trending, we're a startup, we make an app. Yeah, how will you make money? We'll get investment and hopefully, nah, that won't work here. So you've got you've to be a business, right? So, and um, you've got to be a business and you've got to assume that um, you're not going to get invested in. And that kind, that's not the kind of advice that would go down in Silicon Valley, I'm sure, where um, the, the point is to, to basically have a great idea and attract money to it for as long as 
as it takes to figure out how to make money. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, you, do, you, do you know, Andale, the, the irony is that um, this advice may not fly even to anyone. However, this is exactly what investors invest in, even in Silicon Valley or here. So and the more the traction, the more the users on the platform, the more revenue is going through a platform, not even net profit, just revenue, the more investors get interested in investing in that kind of platform. So that's it. So it's all about traction. So you want so a startup a startup has to build itself up on to the point where it doesn't need investment, then it'll get investment. Um, some of the things we've come to expect from uh, VCs based in Silicon Valley, they seem to have a, a certain touchy feeliness to the business they do that perhaps is absent uh, on the continent where it's, you know, it's revenue boy, it's show me the, you know, the, you know profit year on year, uh, show me that hockey stick graph, all that good stuff. Whereas this idea that uh, a good idea could, that could blow up could come from anywhere. And I suppose if you've got Tim Draper as a partner and... You use Skype every day. You're kind of reminded of how easily a really simple seed investment can turn into a really big idea. And so I suppose that colors some of the enthusiasm they have. But he did say at the end of that, uh, of that comment that um, there seems to be a return to fundamentals like, you know, like revenue, like profitability and that kind of thing. Given how well you've done relative to many startups who go out looking for funding, what comes to the surface in terms of personal insights or epiphanies in that, in that regard? I encourage any entrepreneur to actually go through and study what investors look at when they make an investment. I think um, knowing that they pay attention to more emotional stuff like the quality of the team, the relationship of the founders, um, the market, rather than just the fundamentals, um, makes you also appreciate that as well. So I think we, before we even started, we wanted to make sure that we had the most amazing team possible, that everyone was super committed, that the idea was worth pursuing and could get us up in the morning. Um, and then the next step is obviously building a solid business model on top of all of that. Um, but reverse engineering the investment process is very useful for entrepreneurs as well. Um, I think that the move to profitability um, is going to be a little bit different on the continent. I, I think it's a reaction to um, how tough economic conditions can be uh, for a startup to operate in, whether in America that means move to profitability because the funding is drying up. Um, on the African continent, I think it's because it's hard to get that revenue uh, cycle, the revenue engine moving in an African startup. So I think um, what Toro is saying there is be sustainable, um, build something that you know you can... Um, can keep going even if funding is not there. So I think that's what he means rather than um, not wanting to back a seed, uh, a, an idea. You know, I think, that, I think he's still very big on ideas. You know, definitely. I do think um, many of us who, who fancy a play at, at the startup vibe, you know, look at an Instagram that, or, or what's another good example of someone who hasn't made money? <laughs> Snapchat, you know, uh, we look at things like that as, the perfect scenario for us, you know, if we could just access this incredible pool of venture capital to fund our dreams and help us work with our uh, people we like and, and, and in these amazing offices and, and just, you know, and exits with these profound, you know, profits in hand. I suppose that's the dream. However, I think, again, like you say, 
um, for many African startups, it's probably unwise to go in betting on, on that kind of scenario panning out for you. Yeah, I mean, the survey we discussed earlier is kind of proof, right? Most startups don't make it. Most startups don't ever hit that hockey curve, hockey stick curve. Um, and so you need to look for other sustainable ways of keeping your, your, your dream alive. And usually that's revenue. Absolutely. Now, a big thank you to you, Trevor Wolf, for joining me on the show today. Listen, everybody, be sure to visit delve.io to see what Trevor and his team are up to. That's D-E-L-V-V.io. And um, sign up if you're a leading creative in your field and join uh, that amazing database and be part of the success story in the making, we hope. Uh, a thank you also to Maya Horgan Farmadu of Ingressive. You can check out her business at ingressive.co. And also a big thank you to Toro Orero of Draper Dark Flow for featuring on this week's show. Uh, you can check out um, all the work they're doing at draperdarkflow.com as well as speedupafrica.com. Now you can follow me on Twitter at Masugu Andile for links to the full-length conversations I had with both Toro and Maya in the spirit of celebrating freedom with the American people. I thought I'd release two of those conversations at the same time. Go check them out. They'll be there waiting for you. I'll certainly retweet a link to my conversation with Trevor Wolf uh, that we recorded in 2015. Now, he was the MD of Spring Leap at the time. He has since left them to start this brand new business we were talking about today. I'll certainly have to plan another sit down and a full length conversation for us to unpack everything you've learned since then. Um, but you can certainly catch up on a lot of the things that he's learned, mistakes he's made. He's easily one of the most candid individuals I've ever had a conversation with on mic. Lots to learn from his story. Uh, uh, a candid take on rising from failure and um, you, you can also uh, find the, the link to that on my Twitter page. But otherwise, once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is very kindly brought to you by FreshBooks. Now, FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. All you have to do to find out if all the fuss is worth it is try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. Now, if you're looking to get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster, that link again, gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. Now, that's the week's show, folks. Catch uh, me again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com uh, at 9 a.m. Central African Time. Uh, otherwise, I'm Andy Lemasugu. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you once again, Trevor Wolf of Delve.io. Great to be here, Andy Le. Happy birthday, America. Take it easy, Africa, and love all over the world.